Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Thank you there, Dennis. Appreciate that, brother. We want to be uh, in prayer for Dennis. He is going to be uh, doing some mission work here soon, uh, helping with water missions. And so you guys keep him in in your prayers, uh, if you would. This past um, Wednesday was a, uh, a special day in our nation that has been set aside to honor um, veterans, those who have served our country uh, in the armed forces. And I, wanna, I just want to recognize you for a moment. If you, if you ever, in any capacity, served uh, in one of our armed forces, I'm going to ask you to just stand where you are for a moment. Um, you don't have to mask up because you're, I'm not going to ask you to sing or talk or anything like that unless you just want to keep your mask on. Thank you. No, I want you to keep, stand up, Gene. Don't, don't sit down yet. Just stand up for a second. We, we want you to know that we, we appreciate you. And you deserve more honor than we are able to give you. Um, we just, we, we believe that. We, we thank you that the freedoms that we have are because of your sacrifice and the sacrifice of your families. We know that we know that our freedom to vote recently was not because politicians gave it to us, but because you defended our freedom to vote. We we know that our freedom to to gather to worship God is not because of preachers, um, but because of your sacrifice and, and your service. And uh, we we want you to know that we we thank God that that you heard His call whether you were drafted um, or whether uh, you volunteered, that you heard that call, you answered it, you didn't flee from it, you accepted the call of God and you served us and this nation's freedoms by your, by your acts. And uh, we just want you to know we appreciate that and I want to pray for you. Father God, I thank you for these men and women who are standing. I thank you, God, for the sacrifices that they made during their service, some still making. God, I thank you for the sacrifices that their families make. Uh, while they're away serving. And so I pray for, uh, God, our military. I pray for our veterans, Lord. Um, active duty and past service, I just pray your blessings on them. God, uh, we, we do give you thanks for them. We thank you, God, that they heard your call, answered that call, and, and God, we have freedom because of it. We pray your blessings upon them. We pray that your grace would just surround them and fill them, and they would experience the joy in the Lord, in you, God, for their service. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you um, very, very much for your service. And yes, you may be seated now. Uh, we, we have a lot to be thankful for. Our veterans are one of those things that we can be thankful for. Um, we can, uh, we, there are a lot of other things that we get to be thankful for here at River Bluff. In fact, next Sunday has kind of become a, a rhythm of uh, giving thanks on the, the, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And so next Sunday is going to be a different kind of service here. Um, there's not going to be uh, kind of a normal message. Things are going to be m- moving around a little bit. Um, we're going we're gonna to share in communion together. Uh, so I hope you will come to participate and join in that. We'll be sharing in some other things. But we just want to come together and give thanks to God for his goodness to us. And I know some people are thinking, it's 2020. I gotta have to look. You're not gonna have to look real hard. God is God is good to you. 
And, and you know that, and you're finding more and more of that. So I hope you come uh, prepared to do that. I made a last-minute change this morning to um, where I was going to start this morning. So there's not going to be a slide that's going to come up. And so if you want to verify that I'm accurately reading God's Word to you, you may want to get your Bible out and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. It's a chapter that's well-known. It's often called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And it begins by naming some of what I'll call the Bible greats, the, the heroes of our faith. And uh, I'm going to start kind of down towards the end of that in, in verse 32. It kind of gives a, a little quick summary of some other greats. You may want to go back and read Hebrews chapter 11 uh, later today. But we're going to start in verse 32. And it says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, of the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained uh, promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Man, that's some, that's some awesome stuff. Have you ever heard of having to make a hard left turn? We're about to make one now. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. This is the word of the Lord. Here's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk today to you about that last group in Hebrews 11. That last group that did not receive, you know, the Bible says that all of God's promises are yes in Jesus. They did not receive a yes from God in all those promises in this life. They didn't receive a yes from God probably in everything they asked. Now, I don't know about you, but I imagine uh, that, these, that that last group that we read about that challenge group, if you would, that they would have done the same kind of crying out to God. They wanted to be victorious in battle. They wanted to drive armies away. They, 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 they wanted to see the power of God released in their life. But instead of God saying, yes, you're going to see it today, God said to them, no, you're not going to see it right now. I gotta, I gotta, I'm going to fulfill my promise. It's going to be better than you can even imagine, but it's going to come later. Now, some people would say, well, they didn't have the faith. The Bible says in verse 39 that they were commended for their faith too. They were commended for their faith. It wasn't that they lacked faith, but God said no. And sometimes, just I, I hope you figure this out. Very, very often, it is so much harder to have a strong faith and have to endure, sometimes it's just easier to escape. But these did not escape. 
They're, they're, they, ha- they, were, they had to endure. Now, so often, we've talked about this, we've looked at it. So often, God's, God's word promises that God will hear our prayers. One of the shortest verses that I know of that kind of uh, speaks to that very directly is Jeremiah ch- uh, chapter 33, verse 3. And it just simply says this, call to me, God says, and I will answer you. God just says call, and, and he'll answer. That's a promise, that every time you call to God, he, he's going to answer you. But he doesn't say that he'll answer you the way you want to every time. He'll answer, but it, it may be no. You know, God even told his son no while he was here on earth. We're going to look at it at the beginning. We're going to look at it again at the end. But in Mark chapter 14, Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane. This was the night before he would be crucified. And Mark records this. And it says that they went to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began being greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup. And if you study the scriptures, you'll know that this cup, so often in the the Old Testament especially, refers to a suffering, a kind of suffering. So Jesus is saying, would you remove this suffering? But we know that the answer that God gave to Jesus in that moment was no. Because in that hour, soldiers came, and they arrested him. And it began. The mockings, the beatings, the torture, which eventually led to his crucifixion on the cross for you, for the whole world, the Bible tells us. Now, sometimes when we see that God told Jesus no, that can get a little confusing to us. It's kind of like we, we don't understand how to, how to deal with when God says no. And the truth is, we've got to, we've got to learn how. If we're, going to, if we're really going to address the, this idea of going to God in prayer, we've got to be uh, learned, if you would, in how to handle it when God says no. Now, most of us, what we would try to reason out, we would try to reason something out like, well, if God is truly good and God's truly all-powerful, then why doesn't God always answer my prayers the way I ask for them? Well, there, 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 there are a lot of reasons why. Hundreds, probably, probably even thousands. You know, we, sometimes we'll ask the question, I see, I see somebody over here getting a miracle and this person not. And this person seems to walk with the Lord maybe even more than this person does. I, I, I see people that I pray for, you know, and, and some people get healed and some people pass on and go to be with the Lord from their sickness. I, and, and it can get confusing. I see one couple who's, who's claiming the same promises and crying out to God to have children and they can and others who, you know, have as many as they want. It, it, and we just, we get a little confused. Why God sometimes says yes and why God sa- sometimes says no. And w- we can't explore every single circumstance today. But there are a couple of things that I want to do. The first thing that I want to do around this issue today is I want to give you a few possible reasons why God says no. It won't be exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination. Just some that just kind of stand out of the few hundreds and maybe even thousands. Why, why God might say no. And then I want us to think about what to do. What do you do? How do you how do you how do you continue on when God answers you no for something you believe you legitimately need? Because you're going to get a lot of yeses, but you are going to get some no's. 
But before we go into that, I need to do something real clearly, okay? I need to give you a, a huge warning. So this message comes with a warning label, okay? Turn to your neighbor and says, huge warning. Just tell your neighbor, huge warning, okay? If you're, if you're writing, if you printed out the notes and you're taking them top of the page, write, huge warning. Because here's the warning. Do not take what I'm about to give you and run with it to somebody that you know has just entered a very intense season of pain. Because you do not know for certain if one of the reasons I'm going to give you today is applicable to their situation. You don't know. One of the three things that I, it, it, it may not apply. Some of you who were with us back August, September, we did a study out of the book of, of, of Job. Uh, we looked at uh, where's the best place to shelter. That was kind of shelter where. Where do, we, where do you go to find shelter in, in a storm? And we, you'll recall that Job, man, he, he was the richest guy around. He, he had prosperity. He had a great family. And in a single day, he lost it all. He lost his wealth. He lost his family all but his wife. He lost his all of his business assets, he lost his status, he lost everything. And uh, Job had some friends who came around him. And when they, when they first showed up, they didn't say anything. I think for like seven days or so, they just, they just sat with Job in silence. And friends, that's a great lesson. When somebody is in intense pain, you do need to show up, but you also need to shut up. Okay? Some, you know, everything was great, with those friends' presence until they started opening their mouths. And then for like the next, you know, 35 chapters or so after that, they're just going after Job. And they're explaining to Job. They, apparently they went to some, some sermon somewhere and got a list of things. Uh, well, here's why God says no to you, Job. You know, and they start spitting out the, the motivation of God's heart towards Job. You get to the end of the book, and God listens to a lot of this nonsense, and then finally God speaks. He speaks first to Job, and then he speaks to those friends. And I want you to look at what he says in, in Job chapter 42. It says, After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Folks, you've got to be very, very careful when you start applying the motives of God's heart onto somebody's circumstances and situations, you, you just got to be careful because you don't know. It, it blows my mind sometimes how professing Christians, followers of Jesus, will go on some type of media, sometimes news media, sometimes social media, and they'll begin to declare the heart of God that's attached to some kind of tragedy. And they'll go on to explain why God didn't, you know, say yes when people prayed that this storm would turn. Or why, you know, God, God didn't say yes to this. And they'll start saying, it's the judgment of God coming. You know what my Bible says in 1 Peter? It's going to come up on the screen. My Bible says that when God's judgment does come to our nation, you know who it's starting with? Us. It's going to start in the house of the Lord. That's where, that's where God's judgment is going. Be very careful how you apply God's motivation and God's heart 
to circumstances that people are enduring because you don't know. Just be careful. So what I want to give you today, don't you go run into somebody who's suffering with this. This is for you to take in, for you to absorb, so that when God says no to you, you'll know how to respond. So let me give you a, a few reasons real quickly why, why I've seen God say no. Here, here's the first one. God will sometimes say no because he has a broader perspective than you and I do. He has a broader perspective. He can see what we can't see. He can see around the corner. He sees the whole picture. We have a limited perspective. He can see the future. He can see every implication of a prayer that you might pray, and that's why he says no sometimes. Hebrews 4 tells us this, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God sees everything, every detail, every creature. He, he knows how everything's going to affect every one of them. God sees it all, but, but we don't. And some, sometimes God has to say no. And part of our problem is we have this limited perspective, but, but God does not. God can see how every prayer and every nuance in every prayer would impact downstream and the, the, the kind of the chain that would happen. God knows how what I'm praying for today could not only impact me and my, my family, my, my kids and their kids and their kids' kids and on down the chain. God sees all that. I can't. And sometimes when I'm praying, God says, Joe, no. Because he has a, a multi-generational sight that I don't have. Sometimes God says no because, uh, because seeing what you don't see, you know, and you're asking for this. Proverbs 2.8 says this. It says that God is guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. God, God is working out his justice for all of humanity, and you may not see it. And so you may ask for this, and God says, no, because I've got a bigger perspective on what's going on here. God guards this. He watches over it. Some of you will remember the story, the account, the biblical account from the life of Daniel. And Daniel, at, at one time, uh, was praying, and the king had issued an edict that nobody's supposed to pray to anything but this statue. And so Daniel says, king can't do that. He throws his window open, and he keeps praying. And he's not praying to that statue. He's praying to, to God. And the penalty for praying to anything other than this statue was that you would end up in the lion's den. And so I imagine, because in Daniel, it says that Daniel, when he was praying, uh, after the king had said, you know, this edict out, it says that Daniel was making petition and pleas before his God. Now, my guess is part of, because petition is asking for things you need, part of, I believe, Daniel's prayer would be, dear God, please keep me out of the lion's den. That would be a sensible prayer if you knew that was the penalty for praying. Did God answer Daniel's request with a yes? Nope. Into the lion's den he goes. But God had, God had something else in, in mind. God shut the mouths of the lions. Lockjaw, baby. Just shut them tight. They couldn't open their jaws. And they, they, Daniel comes out of the lion's den with a better story than he would have had had he never gone in because of God's perspective. The results were grander. Daniel's testimony became uh, incredible. God's glory got expanded mightily 
because God said no to a prayer. I believe Daniel probably prayed. prayed. God says no to his servants because he has a broader perspective. But a second reason that God says no is because he has a better plan. Like he did with Daniel, he has a better plan. Sometimes God intends to answer your prayers, but you, you pray it in a certain way. You start to get a little demanding and start wanting to do something specific, and God says, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Some of you will remember the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wanted to go to Rome to proclaim the gospel. Rome was like the capital of the world at the time. And Paul wanted to go to Rome to to preach. Now, I don't know this. It doesn't say this in the scriptures. Just a little Joe imagination. I imagine, because this is how I would want it to go down. I would imagine, you know, if I'm praying, I I want to go to Rome, capital city. I want to proclaim the gospel. I probably think, well, God, how about get me there on a Mediterranean cruise? Okay? And once I get there... God to, 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 to Rome, hook me up with somebody who will rent the Colosseum for me. And God, what we're going to do there is we're going to have the, the crusade in the Colosseum. You know, I'm, we're going to bring the fire down, baby. I just got, Paul wanted to go. He wanted to proclaim the gospel. And so God said yes, but God said no. Yes, you're going to Rome, Paul, but you're going to jail. You're going to prison. Because Paul, I have a better plan. What did Paul do while he was in prison in Rome? He wrote some incredible letters that we study and we're blessed by. So many of Paul's letters were written while he was in jail at Rome, in Rome. Because God had a better plan than Paul did. Yes, I'm going to answer this part of it, yes, but this other part, I'm going to answer no. God, God says no to those he loves sometimes because he sees his wisdom, his knowledge is vaster. It's different than ours. In Isaiah chapter 55, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. One of the things, uh, keep that scripture up there for just a minute. I want you to notice about God's ways and God's thoughts. They're plural. See, here's the problem. God doesn't have this problem where when you pray, if it doesn't exactly line up with his better plans, that, oh, my gosh, God, I've only got one option for these people. That's not God. God has lots of ways. He has lots of thoughts. He, he doesn't, your, your praying does not back God into a corner. You can, you can go to him and ask him for, for, for anything. You, you, you can ask him for that. You know, one of the things I, I love about how we began in, in uh, our time together, you know, there are a lot of people who pray and ask for things, and they get them, and a lot of people don't. They, they stay sick. They stay poor, whatever. I love that latter part of Hebrews chapter 11 because one of the things it does is it just kind of blows away the idea of what's called the prosperity gospel. You know, that the prosperity gospel, there are people who will preach this false gospel that will tell you, you know, you're supposed to get what you want from God. And if, if you're not getting what you want from God, the problem is you don't have what? Enough what? Enough faith. Did that group at the end of chapter 11 not have enough faith? The Bible says 
their faith was commended by God. Their faith was great. See, this idea that God says no to some people because they don't have great faith, I mean, it's just a lie. And part of this that I love to think about and meditate on this thought is if you don't get a yes from God, relate it to a promise God has made in this life, God has all eternity to fulfill his promises to you. He has all eternity to fulfill his promises to you. That's why I don't have a bucket list. You know what a bucket list is? It's that that list of things that you want to accomplish before you kick the bucket. Why have a bucket list for a broken world? Now, I have an eternal bucket list that I've already started working on. God's going to come back and heal the world, remember? He's going to, he's going to recreate it. It's going to be beautiful, more incredible, more, more awesome. And I'm going to have all eternity to explore it, to live in it, to, to, to delight in it, with God present in it. It's going to be awesome. So we, we, we don't need to get all wrapped up in those things thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to get all my prayers answered. Yes, now. God has all eternity to answer your prayers. Let me give you a, a third reason sometimes God says no. Broader perspective, better plan, bigger purpose. He has a bigger purpose for your life than you can see. It's, it's, it's incredible. And here's something you got to know about God's purposes. God always acts for good from love for you. God always acts for good from his love for you. He's never going to do something that's not out of his love for you, even when he tells you no. And God's, gonna let your, God's not going to let your prayers interfere with his purposes. So you can ask him for anything, but if it is going to violate his purpose for your life, God will, God will tell you no. Psalm 57 tells us this. He says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. You can cry out to God. God wants you to cry out to him. But God is in charge. He's still going to fulfill his purpose for your life. And so if you ask, and it's not best for the purpose God has planned for your life, God's not going to to give you those things. And he doesn't owe you an explanation for it. He's not always going to give you an explanation. But we can live with confidence that his, his giving to you, even if it's a no, is him working out his purposes in your life. Even if it doesn't feel like it's good. You know, you, you have experienced it, I have experienced it, and not everything that comes into our life, not everything that happens to us is good. Sometimes bad stuff happens. Sometimes it's because I made a moronic mistake that bad stuff comes into my life. Sometimes it's because of the morons around me that make bad mistakes, and you know, it lands on me. Same with you. Sometimes it's you, sometimes it's others. But God says, I can even use those things to accomplish my purpose through your life. And so everything that God allows to come in, even if you're going through a tough time right now, God has allowed it. He will fulfill his purpose out of it. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1. The purpose of the troubles, these troubles that you're going through, is to test your faith. Now, it's not, it's, it's not a pass-fail test kind of thing. It's, it's to strengthen it. 
um, as fire test how genuine gold is. Your faith is more precious than gold. And by passing the test, it gives praise, glory, and honor to God. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever it is that you're suffering in, it has the capacity to bring praise and glory to God. God is at work in that purpose in your life. And so when you think, when you think this ain't working, God. God, I'm beating my head against the wall on this issue. I'm not getting the results, I thought. Anytime you feel discouraged by that, you got to remember God has a bigger purpose, a grander purpose for, for your life. His perspective is broader. His plans are better. His purposes are, 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 are bigger. They're, they're, they're grander. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. He says, our present troubles are small. Now, some of you are saying, not mine. Well, look what he goes on to say. They won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them. The glory that's being produced in the struggle that you're going through is going to far outweigh the struggle itself. That's why he calls it small. And it will last forever. So we don't look at the, the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our eyes, our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. You can't see all the glory and praise that's going to come out of your suffering for God. But one day you will. One day you will. Now, one of the things that any pastor has for people, and I'm no different. I long for you, for the people of God, for anybody who considers River Bluff their home. I, I want the joy of the Lord for you. I, I want you to f- experience the joy of the Lord. But for you to do that, you've got to come to grips with some realities related to the topic that we're talking about this morning. There are just a couple realities I want to point out. If you don't come to grip with this, You're not going to experience joy in the Lord, especially when you hear a no. Deuteronomy chapter 29 says this, that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. One of the realities that you've got to get gripped by is there are going to be some things in this life that you're not going to know the answer to. You're not, the why, sometimes you're not going to know why in this life. You're just not going to. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 says, Just as you do not know the path of the wind or how bones are formed in the the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Just some things you're not going to know. You've got to be gripped by that as reality. You're not going to get to understand the details of everything. You don't need all the answers to have joy in the Lord. What you need is all his presence. You just need his presence with you. To experience joy. Another reality you got to be gripped by is that there are some things in your life, in this life, on a broken planet, that aren't going to change till Jesus comes to make it right. Or you go to him. If I somehow tomorrow have my, my arm severed off, that is going to be a problem that remains with me the rest of my life here on earth. Now, can I ask God, God grow me a new one? Of course I can. Likelihood of that, probably not great. Okay. But God is going to give me the grace I need to get through that. He's going to say, I want you to grow in this. I want you to learn about me in this. We'll talk more about that in just a second. But we've got to be gripped by, by this reality. One, one last reality you've got to be gripped by, if, if, if you are really going to be able to live with joy in a, in a broken world, and this one's hard, but sometimes you're going to suffer for the sake of others. Sometimes you will suffer for the good of others. It's called redemptive suffering. 
And when you find yourself suffering for the sake of others, know this, you're never more like Jesus than when you do that. Jesus was not spared suffering for your sake. He suffered death on a cross so he could bring salvation for you. I was thinking the other day about all the ministries that have been started by Christians because of suffering. I think of recovery ministries that, that, that were started by people who were struggling with addictions and prayed, God, would you miraculously remove this? And God said, no. And they started recovery ministries by the grace of God to walk through it. I know of, I know of women who started crisis pregnancy centers because they had suffered through the pain and the shame of abortion and they never wanted another woman to go through that. And God used their pain to do something incredible. God does that all the time. We could go on and on and on talking about ministries that started because God never wastes the pain. God will never waste your pain, no matter what it is that you're going through. God God will not do that. Now, suffering like that, like Jesus, is never fun. It's never, you know, you're not going to say, give me some more, Lord. But you'll never be more like Jesus when you're suffering, knowing that it's fulfilling the purposes of God. So, what do you do now? What do you do when God says no? Real quick, three things. First one is this. you got to trust his goodness and his love. Trust God's goodness and God's love. Trust that God never does something unloving towards you. Never will he do that. Everything that God does is for your good because he loves you. Psalms 25 tells us this. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. There is not a path leading to God or flowing from God for your life that is not wrapped up in steadfast love. God can't act in an unloving way because as the Bible says, God is love. He can't can't act out of anything but love towards you. The Apostle Paul got captured by this thought and inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wrote a verse that if you don't know, you should know. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. All things, it says, all things work together for good. Those who love God and are called according to his purposes, all things, no matter what you're going through, God is at work in all of those things, even when he tells you no. Now, one of the things that you need to know, because it will, this verse will serve as a great defense against the enemy. Here's what happens. The moment God tells you no, Satan musters all the forces of hell to come against you, to lie to you, and plant thoughts in your head kind of like, well, if God really loved you, man. He wouldn't let you be going through this stuff right now. There's no way. Satan comes at you with those kinds of thoughts. Friends, Satan is a liar. If you don't know that, you ought to write it down on top of that page right there. Satan is a liar. And so when God tells you no, it's for your good. It's out of his love. You've got to trust in God's love for you. Because he's got a plan. He's working his plan. One of the things that I've seen happen to people who get a no from God and they haven't settled this issue of God's goodness towards them, of God's, of God's love for them, some of them will start resisting God. They'll just start resisting God. And you, you'll watch them. They'll, they'll get mad at God. 
And they'll say, God, if, if, this, is, if this is the way the game's going to be played, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. And you've seen Christians like that. And you don't see them serving the Lord anymore. They walk far away from God. They resist him oftentimes to a point of rebellion. Second outcome that I've seen is, um, is not so much this outward rebellion and, and, and resistance, um, but it's resentment. And you've seen Christians like this. They're, they're there every time the church opens, but they're the grumpiest cusses on the planet. You know, they're just sour, pushed, faced. You know, it's, it's just they've grown to resent God because God didn't do what they thought he should when they thought he should do it. And I've known, I've known Christians like that. You've known Christians like that because they, they've not accepted as fact that even though they're struggling, God loves them. That God is being good to them. Now, the alternative to this resisting and resentment is relaxing. You can just relax and rest in knowing that God is good and that he loves you, that he is a good, good father all the time. And if I'm suffering, his love's not changed. He still loves me. And when he says no, his love's not changed. He still loves me and has good in his heart for me. And so when you do that, you need, you need to begin, you know, if, if you find yourself in that place where you have, have prayed and God says no, and that no actually leads you into some suffering, the moment you get there and realize that you're suffering, you need to start the second thing, what you do when God says no. You need to start praying the Jesus way when you suffer. You need to pray the way Jesus did when, when he suffered. We read about it earlier. Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was there, and he, it, it was his favorite place to, to pray. And he knows that tomorrow he is going to face ridicule. He knows that he's going to face suffering. He knows that he's going to face rejection. He knows that he's going to face crucifixion. Jesus does not want to go through that. He doesn't just, you know, he's not looking to be in pain. And so Jesus goes to his father in this this garden of Gethsemane, this olive grove, if you would. Uh, it's actually, Gethsemane means to press. And so he goes in this uh, place of pressing, and he prays this prayer. Abba, Father, he cried out, Mark chapter 14. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. We talked already that that's the crucifixion, that's suffering. See, Jesus went to God and said, God, I don't want this. It's okay for you to do that, to tell, tell God, God, I don't want to go through this cancer. God, I don't want to go through this sorrow. God, I don't want to go through this, this marriage problem. God, I don't want to go through this divorce. God, I don't want to have to face the death of what. God, I don't want that. It's okay to do that. Jesus did. But please notice how Jesus went about it and, and pray this prayer the way he did when you're, when you're entering into suffering. Because God has said no. You start, as Jesus did, proclaiming God's power. You proclaim his power. Jesus did this. He said, Abba, Father, everything is possible with you. I know this. I know who you are. You you have all the power. I'm coming to you as the one who could change all of this. I know you could keep me out of this. And notice the second thing that Jesus did. Jesus came passionately. You need to approach God passionately. He cries out, the Bible says, Abba, Father, please, please take this cup. 
You, you need to be passionate about going to God in your suffering and asking him to remove it. And sometimes God will, and sometimes he won't. But here's the, the final part of this prayer. And if, you don't, if you're not going to pray this part, don't pray the first two parts. The final part of this prayer is this. You've got to commit to his plan, as Jesus did. But, Father, yes, I want this. I want to be released from this. But more than releasing from my suffering, I want your will done. If I have to suffer, God, for the good of others, I'll do that. But mostly, Abba, Father, I want your will. I want that more than I want what I want. I want your, your plans because they're better. I want, uh, God, I want, I want your perspective because it's broader. God, I want your purpose because it's bigger, it, it's grander. That's what I want more than anything else. And then here's the last thing that you and I need to, to, to do when we're experiencing no's from God. is we need to expect greater grace. We need to expect greater grace. And in this context, greater grace is power. It's power from God to go through the suffering, to go through the trial, to, to live in the know of God, to handle it. You know, the Apostle Paul went to God in his suffering. He was suffering, uh, most scholars believe, something physical. We don't know exactly what his suffering was, but he writes to some of his friends in, in Corinth in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, he says this, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. He goes on to say, it was a message, messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfect." is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul says, of my weakness so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Paul said, I prayed. I begged God. I pleaded with God, take it away. And God said, no. God said, instead of yes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you grace. And, and Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, said, and it transformed the way I thought. It transformed the way I thought about my suffering. And Paul began to boast about this weakness, this struggle, this physical ailment most likely that he had. And, and you can see Paul going around saying, can you believe that even though this is in my life, that I'm suffering with this, whatever it is, God can still use me? Even though, even though this, you know, I get sick or, or, or whatever, God still can use me. Paul boasted about that. Here's something that I have just found to be true for me. I think many of you would testify to this. Most of the really important life lessons that I've learned, I've not learned through pleasure but through pain. Don't get me wrong. I love it when you speak an encouraging word to me. But I've learned more life lessons when I've been criticized or even attacked than I have when somebody's spoken something encouraging to me. I've learned more that way. I've learned more through, through suffering, through pain. Most of us, most of us do. Most of us learn that way. You know, that's how Job arrived at the place of being able to proclaim that even if, even if God slays me, I'm going to serve him. You know, I, I've moved there in my life more than I've ever been. Because I know that every, everything I have is in his hands anyway. 
All of us need to be in that position where we say, no matter what, God, no matter what comes next, God, if you never answer another prayer of mine with a yes, I'm still going to serve you because, God, you deserve it. You've done so much for me already. Now, it, it breaks my heart and it breaks you know, the hearts of people who love you around you when, when you really desire something and you're not seeing breakthrough there. But you and I need to trust in God's broader perspective, God's better plans, his bigger purposes for our lives. That's, that's who he is. Some of you right now may be in a struggle. It may be in a, a relationship. It may be in your marriage. It may be with a friend. It may be with a family member. And you're, you're just struggling right now, and, and, and you're not seeing this relationship being life-giving. In fact, it may be toxic or painful, and you're praying, Dear God, give me, give me breakthrough here, and God hasn't said yes yet. And God is saying, My grace is going to be sufficient for you. So don't forget the reality of God's word that promises he's good. Look at, I want to end with this passage from Psalms 9. It says this, And those who know your name... Put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. If right now you're not trusting God in his no, more than likely it's because you don't really know him. If God has said no to something in your life and you're no longer trusting him that he's good, it's because you don't know him because he is good. And he's loving. If, if you don't trust him, the psalmist writes, then you don't know him the way that you need to in all of its fullness. And maybe, maybe today, maybe thinking about some of these things, about who God is, about his perspective, about his purpose, about his plans, about what to do when God says no, maybe, maybe that will draw you to know who God truly is. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted. You've never trusted God's pathway to him through his son Jesus. And if that's true of you, I want to lead you to pray. And in fact, I want all of us to just take some moments together to pray together. Let's pray. Father, we come right now recommitting to pursue you for who you are. And God, that we know that even includes God, knowing that sometimes you tell your children no. Those that you love, those that you came and died for, sometimes you tell us no. Sometimes we're not going to know why in this life. We won't know till we're, we're there with you, next to you, seeing your splendor and your glory. We'll know you face to face then. But right now, God, your word tells us that you will give us the grace we need to live in the answer that you give when it's no. So we come looking for that. We come expecting, we come anticipating that grace, God, as your children because you want to pour your grace out because you love us, because you're good. And we come again recommitting our minds, our thoughts to trusting that, recommitting our hearts to believing that, trusting that you are good in all your ways. Maybe you're here today and you've never experienced the grace of God because you've not trusted what his son Jesus did on the cross. And you can change that today. Whether you're in the building or